Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second Commune podcast on Metroid Prime Federation Force. My name is Daniel, and I am joined by the two other esteemed members of the Galactic Federation's elite unit, aka the Federation Force. Um, the first of those people is Greg. Greg, uh, please say your name. Greg. Very good. <laughs> uh, I'll give you a one, one, one medal out of three for that one. Uh, Adrian, it's your turn. Say your name. Adrian. Okay, that's probably a two. That's probably a two. Uh, we are gathered here today to discuss um, variation within uh, Federation, Force, Federation Forces um, single, uh, single and multiplayer campaigns. Single and multiplayer campaigns, uh, they're the same campaign. Um, you can play with one, two, three, or four players. Uh, myself, Adrian, and Greg played together as a trio. In many of the reviews for uh, Metroid Prime Federation Force, um, many reviewers uh, praised the game's uh, the variety within the missions and how in each mission you'd be doing you know, a different um, activity and there'd be a different type of gameplay. And that's really what we're here to discuss today. So before we recorded, um, Adrian um, began um, organizing the missions into categories, which I think we can talk about now. So Adrian, uh, would you like to run us through a few of these categories and we'll um, talk our way through them as we go? All right. So one thing I want to be sure to clarify is that I tried to categorize them based on the scope of the mission and not so much the moment-to-moment gameplay or the locks and keys, what you do from room to room in order to progress. So you have tried to categorize them based on the large scope, not on the small scope. Right. Kind of the main idea of the entire mission. So first okay. you have standard missions. You know, go in, shoot stuff, occasionally search around and get a key, that sort of thing, of mm. which includes the first, third, fifth, and nineteenth missions. Okay, so that's uh, outpost, smokestack, evacuation, excavation. So, so uh, excavation and incursion. Okay. Um, so, also just to clarify about the um, uh, about the minute-to-minute gameplay. So, so what you're saying, right, is that although a mission may be like you know 90% in one category and 10% in another, for the sake of clarity, we're just going to say it's in the 90. Uh, it's in the category where it's where most of its gameplay fits into the one uh, type. Is that correct? Right. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, so the standard missions. Uh, I made a separate category just to include missions that involve the spheres because they are their own, you know, separate lock and key, and they also identify the mission. Uh, the big one being hardball, and then you see spheres come up again in slipstream. That would be missions. Mm-hmm. So Hardball is the second mission in the game, right? Yeah. And can you talk a bit about what... Uh, actually, Greg, um, can you talk a bit about what this type of mission um, involves? What the ball missions involve? Yeah, like, what's the point of these missions? Why, why, so, are they, why have we given them their own category? These missions involve manipulating balls by shooting them, 
So in uh, hardball, you'll have to uh, steer spheres into little um, uh, like pool pockets, I guess you'd like billiard pockets, I guess you would call them. <laughs> um, and once you sink all of the spheres in an area, you get to move on. And in the other one, what's the name? In Slipstream, you have to guide the balls along to put them on a catapult device so that then you can shoot at a boss. Um, <clears throat> and so in both of these missions, the main interesting thing about the mission is having to steer these spheres, even though in both missions you have enemies to kill, and um, in Hardball, not every room is about steering spheres. Um, I think Hardball in particular is a good example of how the game handles variation in that, like, we would all say that the spheres are the interesting part, but not every part of the stage is about um, working with those balls. <laughs> so these categories just get at like what sticks out to us as conspicuous about the gameplay and is not like it's not a hard and fast rule about what the mission is. Right. And yeah. something I notice a lot is that a lot of these missions don't exactly fit into very clean categories, and you'll certainly notice this with a later category that I bring up. Uh, just mm. another note: I wanted to throw in convergence in there because I forgot to because that does involve a spear. And it's what the game is actually building up to. You mean? Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Samus, Samus, yes. right? Like, yeah. like where where you're shooting Samus in her morph ball mode, in her morph ball mode at um, electric walls. Yeah. You know what's interesting um, is that it, in hardball and slipstream, the spheres are pretty small. They're easy for one player to move around, and their uh, their weight is much lesser than the blast ball spheres. Or as a convergence, Samus starts out pretty big, and even with the three of us focusing, and I think we had Shouty with us. Yeah. The the four of us focusing on her had a harder time because she was so big, and because. I guess the game has Newtonian physics in some sense. Yeah, there's also the fact that, I mean, it, it was a different kind of challenge as well, right? So, Converge is sort of like a boss level, but the boss, which is in Samus in Morphal mode, does, you know, she is also a sphere that you can shoot around, but you have to, you have to first uh, attack her weak point, and then once you've done that, for a bit, then she'll go into a mode where you can, you know, freely shoot her around. Um, yeah. And so when you can shoot her around like a, you know, like a billiards ball, then then that's where you have to push her into the electric um, boundary of the arena. However, you've only got a limited amount of time to do that. How can the th uh, how could the three of us, you know, quickly push her in the right direction within a limited amount of time? And once you've hit one of the um, boundaries, then you know, then it loses its electricity. So you then have to readjust and you know shoot the bullet at um, uh, at fewer uh, you have fewer and fewer walls that you can shoot her into. Whereas I think with um, hardball, it's it's more a case of 
well, at least in the in the normal campaign, you've got plenty of time to move the ball, you know, down to the other end. So there's a bit of variation. But, you know, and the slipstream, you've got, um, you know, like you're on this giant float, and you've got these um, you know, these projectiles, you know, these purple blobs that are that are being cast onto your ship, and they will break bits of the ship. So you have so over time, you have less room to maneuver the balls um, to their to the catapults. You also have some ball variation there in that the ones you launch personally stay around forever. The ones dropped by enemies will eventually explode. Yeah. Oh, yeah so, so, so within that mission, there's two types, right? So there's the... Um, uh, within Slipstream, there's two types of balls. There's the ones that, you know, that spawn um, you know, on one side of the ship that you push over to the other. Um, and they, you know, you have forever to, you know, move them down into the catapult. And then you've got the ones that are the, um, what are they called now? The flying troopers. They'll drop purple balls onto the ship and they will um, detonate and explode within a short period of time. Yeah. So a trend that you'll notice with the missions involving the spheres is that the timer or the time limit is getting stricter with each one. So from hardball, where you have no time limit, to slipstream with a limited time limit for the purple balls, and side in a timely enough manner that the warship doesn't ram into you, because that is the time limit for that one. And it converges, mm. which is the limited amount of time that Samus is depowered. Another mm. note for convergence is that in the later, like once you get to, I believe, the third round, Samus actually does start moving the ball around her own, which ways into messing up your shots when you're trying to knock her into the electric gates. So there's a bit of resistance then as well. Yeah, a bit of interplay there. Mm. So it's not just each other's shots that we that we have to be weary of, but it's also the the natural skew of the ball itself. You know, there's um, yeah. undo our work. Uh, I'd like to actually um, step back um, and talk about the standard missions uh, a bit uh, a bit more because I think we went through that quite quickly. Mm -hmm. um, Greg, how would you characterize these missions? They feel like like Metro like a microcosm of Metroid Prime, where you get a small area to walk around, and there'll be, uh, you know, here or there there'll be a branching room. And you can also talk to computers to read about, like, the the life on the planet or something like that. But for the most part, it's just going through room by room and killing space pirates. Mm -hmm. So arena to arena with a few little interludes and some scans in the game. The, you know, there aren't many scans in the game, um, certainly not on the level of, uh, of uh, the Metroid Prime trilogy, but... Um, there are a few of those as well. And so, um, Adrian, can you talk a bit about how, what this gameplay is like? You know, I mean, we did talk about it a bit in the previous podcast when we were talking about like the, like the, uh, the spatial and the timing dynamics. But if you could you know, talk about how these situations are set up and uh, how the enemies are organized on together, just briefly. Right. Um, there's a pretty big gap from the standard missions. If, in fact, um, of the ones that I lit categorized, uh, it's between missions 5 all the way up to 19. So you get elements of those standard missions peppered throughout the various other missions, which each uh, are also doing their own thing and to challenge you in various ways. 
um, all the way up to incursion though which is which that one is just a straight room to room battle on the enemies mm. a gauntlet yeah, Gauntlet. One of the major ways um, that the encounters progress is the difficulty of the enemies themselves, the layouts of the arenas. More arenas that take place in open space to where you get that room of convergence. The first room, where it's just like maybe a few pillars, a lot of them are on higher ground and you're on the low ground, and enemies just surround you on all sides. Mm. So that's one of the. That's. Um, the trend of variation that you see throughout the Sander missions and the, you know, the brawls. You know, definitely, this game has enough variation just in fighting enemies that that could have been its own game. Yeah. There are so many enemies just in the Metroid Prime games alone that they could have used to fill out a whole uh, shooter campaign with this. Like, there's no, there's no zoomers. There's no... Um, well, technically, the the elites are kind of like um, the Ink Smashers and Metroid Prime too. But there's no Inks, there's no you know pirates with shields or anything like that. There's a lot of enemy types that they use mm. that um, they could to fill out a whole shooter campaign if they wanted to. So within the standard within within the standard missions, and I'd probably say that, you know, that the more shooting missions, you know, they stress the um, I'm a shooting gameplay. Um, so in this in the set of missions, um, one element of variation is that you have harder enemy types, and you also have different combinations of enemy types um, as well. So harder enemies, different enemies, and then you have different waves of enemies as well. So you, you'll clear a few enemies, other like more um, next wave will come in, and the, so there's the enemy types. There's the composition of enemies. There's, oh, sorry, there's the waves of enemies, and there's also the composition of enemies. And that is, the composition of enemies being what enemies are paired together. So I know in, I think in the first room in 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 uh, incursion, incursion being a being a level, uh, being a mission that's later in the game. In that first room, you've got. What are the flying little creatures called? Eye flyers. Yeah, so you've got like eye flyers, and they're laid, um, and so they, you know, they start off, and not long after they enter the room, you've got like your generic space pirates, you know, that come in and flank you on the sides. So those two enemies are laid, uh, and then afterwards, I think you've got like the elite, got like harder pirates, and then I think there's a bit of a lull period, and then they bring in. Um, another set of the eye flies and the elite pirates, and so yeah, it's those. It's really those three elements of enemy variation: the enemy type, the um, the the number of waves, the frequency of waves, and you've also got the composition of enemies as well. So which enemies are paired up together? They even do that with the the boss of this level, where you fight the ice titan, and as you whittle down his health different enemies, more complicated enemies begin to layer with them. From the Zerberacs to the the freaking Gryptorixes, whatever they're called. The roly polies. Yeah, the Gryptorixes. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Roly poly just rolls off the tongue, but Gryptorix just <laughs> maybe does <not as> much. <laughs> yep. So those are the standard missions and then the missions involving spheres. 
Uh, after that, we have the outside mech missions, of which there's only two, you know, infiltration, insurrection, naturally. Um, those two missions, though, however, play out very differently. With infiltration, um, it's more stealth, and then you get, once you pass the stealth section, it's now a platforming section. They even changed the camera and the controls to accommodate uh, the platforming. And then you escape back out. And then, and I actually forgot to write this in, it becomes a survival mission where it's, you wait for the extraction pod to drop in, but as, as that's happening, uh, space pirates are swarming in trying to kill you. And you have to hold out until the extraction point uh, drops in. Whereas with insurrection, that one's a bit different. You're outside of the pod, sure, but the first phase, you have to work your way into the center where these there's these fireballs around, so it's sort of like the stuff, I guess, but it's, it's more like evading things. And then each player progressively, slowly but surely, each player will get their mech back, not all at once, and they have to defend the players outside of their mechs as they make their way through. So in that way, it, Insurrection is also like a defend mission, which we'll get to later. Mm. As each player gets their mech, towards the end, it then becomes a regular all-out brawl with the space pirates. And so in interaction, you've got this, um, this staggered um, acquirement of mechs, right? So like, mm-hmm. so as you're saying, like we all start out in mechs and then we all lose our mechs. And then player by player gradually will get their mechs back. And so, and I really love that mission, right? Because it's like, there's, you know, we start off and it's like, okay, Adrian will take the mech. And then it's Greg and I, so Adrian updates, you know, Greg and myself. And and then you know, later on, it'll be like, you know, just myself without a mech, and you guys, um, you know, are looking after me. And so I think that this mission uh, really plays up the different, um, uh, the different player roles. Uh, and that was really fun. Yeah, right. That's a one of those missions where players that are at, are playing on uneven levels or have different abilities and that's a level of variation that does not come out at all if you're playing single player. Yeah, absolutely. And infiltration I feel is is a bit more of a tutorial slash sort of like a obstacle course. So mm-hmm. so it's you know, it's a bit like a um so you kind of parachute in to the main area, like you take the flying fox in your mech down to the main area, down to the main area, you exit your mech. Then there's like a bit of a platformy, like a short platformy section, um, a short stealth section in a corridor, a larger stealth section in a large room with all um, with several space pirates, and then it's obstacle course there and back with a bit of folded, kind of like folded design. Um, yeah. And and so it's kind of like, I think on the main variation between the two is that all of the players are on an even playing field, so we're all out of the mech. Like we're all either in or out of the mech at the same time. I'm together. You know, it's more of like the obstacle course, whereas insurrection again, you've got your staggered mech acquirements, and therefore, you know, you have a really fun way of playing with roles. And um, yeah, I guess part of that, part of that is that in uh, insurrection, you rely on your teammates, whereas you don't need to care about what other people are doing. In um infiltration yeah exactly yep and and they actually tune insurrection so that 
there'll be these large rooms where the two players outside of their mech, these little, you know, chibi little um, Galactic Confederation <laughs> soldiers are just like are running around the outside um, along this sort of like raised thin platform. And there's these, um, you know, and there's you know, space pirates, uh, flying pirates that all, you know, just come out out of nowhere. And then the chibi characters, you know, then have a little area that they can, you know, hide sort of like a, so like a cover section, um, and then you know Adrian will come in, you know, dashing hero and you know, shoot the space pirates. <laughs> we will like go hang low and yeah, and then we'll go to the next bit, and you know more space pirates will come up, and you know Greg and I, you know, we'll hide, and then Adrian will come in and you know shoot the pirates away, and they actually tune it so that you've got you know the different um, like the different routes. So the we I I don't think that the chibi uh, I don't think that the Federation soldiers can um, access the area that the mech can access, but they have, you know, but they have their own, you know, their own um, route, um, like their own little tunnel that they follow, which the mechs can't follow. Yeah. Um, anything that we, uh, anything more that we wanted to say on the outside mech missions? No. Uh, next are boss missions, which uh, I'll just briefly mention the names, but we could easily spend a podcast talking about you know, what the bosses do, or maybe save that for the next one. Uh, these missions are Mission 7, Cauldron, 12, Last Stand, 14, Tremor, 21, The Core, and 22, Convergence. Of those, I think the only one maybe kind of special to point out would be The Last Stand, where there's an extra lose condition. So aside from everyone being killed, if the boss reaches the end and destroys a tower, uh, you fail. So there is a time limit on that one. The boss missions generally tend to favor, um, like, use of the gyro in different ways as well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, yeah, another podcast. <laughs> right. Oh, the next category is our personal favorite. Yep. Bane Trap, which contains only one mission, and that's mission for containment. Uh, you'll probably hear a lot of bitterness from us, but that was because containment gave us a lot of grief in trying to get all three gold and platinum medals. So That's one of those uh, sandboxy missions. Yeah. Um, mm, yes. There's a few non-linear levels in Federation Force. Uh, containment is one of them. It's also very different from them in that you try to as, you, as I named the category, bait the ice titans into a cage, lock them in, and trap them. Mm, yeah, so you, so you, uh, so you shoot them. So ice titans are enemies, like the big giant. Um, uh, what is an animal that's similar? The boss of the first mission. Yeah, yeah. But what's an animal? What's an animal that's similar to an ice titan? Like a like a bear. Oh, like the a... um the bad guy from Rudolph. Yeah, the yeah, abominable snowman. Abominable snowman. Yeah, that's maybe like real the... life. <laughs> <laughs> an angry polar bear basically like you you, know, you use your you use your um charge shot to um to get their attention and then they you know, they run over and follow you and then you have to lure them into a cage which as adrian was saying you then um lock them in what's really telling about how they uh have this game functions is that to interact with this creature and convince it to go into a cage, you're shooting it. Like, you interact with everything in this game by shooting it. 
Yeah. Or, you know, there's really rare missions where you have to push something, but most of the time you're shooting at everything. Yeah. Yep, or that's right. Or I guess pick something up. Shall we withhold our grievances with containment until a later podcast? Shall we contain our, our grief or shall we just... Yeah, I think we'll leave it for now. But we'll save, um, it, for, we talk about so we'll save it for later. Scores and mm. things like that. Yep. So, so that is um, three. Sorry, three medals on hard mode with three players on containment. Yeah. <laughs> Put it in your notebook. Look forward to it. Okay. So the next category. Search and destroy. Yep. Search and destroy, of which it only has one mission, which is dust off. Another example of a non-linear level in the game where you can go in any order you like to destroy the towers. You can't go in any order you like because certain ones open up, right? Yeah, it's weird. You can sort of go in any order you like, but then again, not really because... So there are more than one available at a time, but certain open up due to certain other ones that you already destroyed. It's kind of like a web, if you think about it, or a tree branch. And like containment, there will be pirate ships that come in periodically. Yeah. So it's kind of like a, you do have a bit of choice, but it's um, it's sort of like restricted freedom in a way. Yeah. You know, as you were saying, like you, you know, if you if you think of it like a tree, like if the map's like a tree, if you move in one area and you kill something uh, and you complete, that was you activate the pods in one area, then that will you know trigger another area that you can open up. But you always have access to more than one pod at a time. Yeah. So you yeah. do have that freedom. Um, with us trying to make the time bonus in that level, that uh, kind of screwed us over until I think the way we beat that was just picked one person to follow so that we would all be going to the same thing to activate so yeah. that we wouldn't just be activating random ones. And then uh, it requires all of the players to activate before it does anything. Mm, yeah, which is why it's better for uh, which uh, which is why it was better for us to go in groups. Otherwise, we will act like we're all filling in bits and pieces here, but we can't actually. Act, you know, we might not activate three beacons on the pod. So, yeah. Mm. So the next category is deliver and defend, and this one probably has not this one probably this one has the most missions. Um, you have. Well, this is, again, kind of going to where not all the missions very fit cleanly. So the main example of this is Hardball, where towards the end, where you grab, I forgot what that sphere is called, but you're supposed to grab this special object and take it with you to the end. You can't complete the mission unless you bring that and take it to your cargo. Hmm. Wait, so, so it's all about wait, sorry, so it's all about delivering and defending. So that is, you've got to move something from A to B, and you've got to ensure that it doesn't break. I.e. gets shot at or gets dropped off a cliff. Yeah, the one in Hardball doesn't break, but you do drop it if you take hits, so that's why you got to be extra careful. And also emphasizes the more cooperative aspect of the game where the player carrying the ball cannot shoot because they're already holding the shoot button in order to carry it. So the other players have to, you know, help out. Yeah, this class of mission often asks the other players to help out because the one player is disabled, but in hardball, it doesn't come out so much because there's those clear lanes where you can avoid the falling boulders. Mm-hmm. Whereas in later missions, you'll have enemies 
jumping up on the person, yeah. and uh, they can't really do anything about that. So, Greg, what you're saying is that the the player who um, picks up the item or who moves the item that needs to be delivered, or at least in the case of hardball, they use their um, they forfeit the use of the beam then, and so they become, you know, um, so they can't defend themselves, and that you know again changes the player roles. But I'm thinking, yeah. um, uh, Adrian, uh, as you introduce on the next few levels that fit this category, it's interesting to talk about. Uh, I think it'd be interesting to look at the different the different items that are being delivered because it's not always about moving the same thing, is it? Yeah. So, so the other missions we have are mission nine, blunder, thirteen, phantom, fifteen, motherload, and seventeen, station. So with blender. And motherload, you have objects that can be destroyed. In Blender, you're pushing a cart through the level. Naturally, you can't let the cart blow up, so you occasionally have to stop or transport it to uh, one of these little safe zones so the electrical storms don't destroy it. And make sure you keep pirates from shooting at it. Hell, the safe zones themselves need to be defended because the space pirates will shoot at those too. Mm, that's right. Another interesting thing about Blender is the fact that all players can cooperate into moving the the card around. So it's not just, oh, one person carries it and then everyone else defends them. It's, no, we can all move this thing at once, and uh, each player right. determines how fast it can go. So yeah, the speed of the card is dynamic. When you have all four people pushing it, it's really fast. But then if you have one person pushing it and then the other three are defending him, then it will be a lot slower. Yeah. And in the middle of that, it's it's also very on and off because occasionally someone's going to need to go out and switch the the trail that the cart is moving on, or shoot at a rock that's in the way, or a pillar, or deal mm. with the hidden boss that's in the level if someone goes off to look for mods. Um, yeah. So just to clarify a bit, so you're pushing this cart which is on like a train track, and like the old train tracks, you know, you you've got the handle that you need to go out and activate if you want to switch from a left to a right hand track and so on so there's that there's enemies there's other things that you have to um deal with at the same time that you know there's you know, at, at the same time that players can be in front of or the back of the cart and be pushing it pushing it forward with phantom now phantom is definitely one that was a bit iffy to put in this category but it's, I, I decided to put it here anyways because phantom you have these things called architects three balls that run around a level. This is another non-linear level, by the way, much like dust off and containment, where they run around. You have to chase them down. Often do your best to plan with the other players to sort of corner it off to shoot it and then pick it up and carry it to the exit. In the meanwhile, while you're trying to deliver it, you have to defend the player carrying it from being shot at and letting the architect escape again uh, from the mm. camouflage pirates and the other dangers. They're sort of like robot balls, so it's like when you, so they're like these spherical, you know, creatures that, you know, you know they can fly around, you know, they float um, and move around quite quickly. But once you shoot them, you know, then they just become spheres, you know, similar to in the second mission, hardball, um, where you... You know, where when you pick it up, you forfeit. Like it's it's a, it's a spherical object that you um, pick up using your charge beam, and you therefore forfeit use of your charge beam. So, 
earlier I mentioned that for the outside the mech missions in infiltration the players are much more or don't rely on each other at all whereas in uh, infiltration you're forced to rely on e each other but in it or and in these missions i feel like there's a, a parallel going on where in hardball you can easily carry the object by yourself and avoid whatever comes at you whereas in phantom um you to deliver the object you get funneled through this uh there's an exit to the sandbox into your ship and you get funneled through that one door and enemies are all up on you when you're going through that door so i can't imagine what it's like in single player it just seems like it requires you to have some uh external protection it's i haven't um, tried single player either but those uh camo pirates are pain a pain to deal with mm. so going through the missions within this category hardball has you um has you carrying like a spherical ball blender has you pushing um, a cart on a track phantom has you pushing a phantoms on the ball mother load is a cart on a track um and infestation is a um, is a Metroid egg, which is similar to a ball. So really there's two types. You know, you've got something on a rail that you're pushing along, or you've got something, you know, like a you know, like a spherical object that you're holding in your hand. Just one thing is with Mother Load, uh, that cart does come equipped with a turret, so you can blow things up, blow shit up. Yeah, in Mother Load, isn't it that one person sits in it and drives it? Yep. Which is way different than players having to commit to... Drive, like, it, right. Yeah. yeah. So in, in Blender, it having to deal with the cart is like a limits your abilities. Whereas in Motherload, the guy who gets to drive the cart gets to blow everything up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Motherload even feels a bit like a, you know, like a shooting mission or a or a turret sequence even. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's literally all rails. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, the next category are what I call survival missions, and the reason I call that is because it makes me think of survival mission Resident Evil 5, where you're stuck to a single area and you try to fend off enemies as best you can. These missions are Black Hole, Slipstream, and High Tower, 10, 16, and 18, respectively. Cool. So, Greg, tell us a bit about this category, survival. You're stuck in one place and enemies will approach you and it's like a it's not so much a tower defense it's like a tower defense except without the tower like isn't it just that you're stuck in one place and there's waves of enemies yeah in high tower you literally are on the tower oh <laughs> mm. uh, well yeah i guess that it that is a tower defense <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes which one of these is the uh ice planet stage where you protect the computer Oh, that would be uplink. I put that one under protect because um, the difference with that one is you have to defend it for a limited amount of time. Whereas in the survival missions, you well, technically what about high tower, it is a time. Yeah, high tower. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right. So, so let me just survival is more about you staying alive. Protect is more about you protecting something else 
where there's an external health bar that you're worried about. Yeah, that's I think right, this high yes. tower does have that where you are protecting the drill platform. Yep. So should we move high tower over to the over to the next category, which is protect? Yep, I shall do that. Okay. So um, as you do that, Adrian, uh, I will. I will. I, I presume that we'll share these uh, wonderful notes with our readers, uh, with our listeners, so that they can um, play along at home, which I'm sure they would be doing by now. Otherwise, it'd probably be lost. Um, <laughs> so, black hole and slipstream are the two missions. So, slipstream um, is the mission that takes place on a floating open platform ship. It's the same one that you have to push the balls over to the catapult. The trend of variation here is that between black hole and slipstream is that your tension is being divided between more stuff. In black hole, you have enemies across another platform and then they try to jump onto yours. There's two different planks that they can do that from. So you want to take them out uh, from a distance and then deal with the ones that um, you know invade your side of the field and try to flank you. And at the same time, you're also trying to deal with these dropships, trying to drop these giant missiles. So you're going to want to focus on shooting them out of the air. So that mission in particular emphasizes your tension between, you know, multiple things. And it also emphasizes, you know, player roles in that, hey, I'll do this thing. You go shoot at this other, while you go shoot at this other thing and we'll try our best to, you know, defend you while you're looking up and not really looking at enemies that are coming around you. That's also how we worked at Slipstream, isn't it? Yep, Slipstream is the same situation where you're dividing attention between shooting the balls and the catapults, uh, shooting out the bombardments that the warship drops in so it doesn't create too many holes while you're trying to get the balls to either side. At the same time, aerotroopers that drop purple bombs, which you at the same time can also do this cool thing where you load those bombs, they drop into your ship and throw up catapults right back at them. It's pretty awesome. Uh, yep. And of course, any other enemies, you know, dropship that drops space pirates, and you got to deal with those bastards too. So, more things that divide up your tension that you need to deal with. Yeah, it's 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 almost like um, in Slipstream, you you've got two um, two types of gameplay at once. You know, one being survival. I I making sure that the ship doesn't fall to pieces um, as it's being you know, shot at. And the the other one being to move the spherical balls onto the catapults. And so we approached this problem by having, how do we do it now? It was who, Greg? Um, well, I would always shoot the enemies because I'm terrible at the spheres. And I think um, if initially you and Adrian would both push the spheres onto the catapults, but we... Uh, when we approached the hard mode of the mission, the requirements got so strict that it was just um, Adrian focusing on using the bombs to kill the enemy. When we had a setup where where Greg was, you know, covering any incoming fire, and Adrian and I were just pushing the balls over to the catapults. Number one is that we weren't is that we finished on the mission too quickly and we didn't farm enough points. Um, I think number two is that, yeah, because the two of us were in the middle of pushing the existing balls to the catapults, when an enemy would drop one of those um, purple balls, 
we'd both already be busy. You know, like we wouldn't be ready to, um, uh, we wouldn't be in a state where we'd be ready to you know, respond quickly. And you'd have to respond quickly because those uh, purple bulls would detonate um, quite rapidly. So Right. So mm. that has two effects. One is that when a, um, oh wait, do purple balls exploding shoot out the floor? Or do they just explode without anything? Oh, I'm not sure. Adrian? What? Oh, no. The purple, yeah, the purple bombs uh, blow up pieces in the floor. Okay. And then there's also that um, the bonus objective requirement on that is to not let any balls explode, which includes the bombs that enemies drop on you. That's right. And you so, sound very happy about that. Oh, we were frustrated with that for a while. <laughs> Because uh, I think two or three times we completed that mission, there were no purple balls exploded on our ship, or uh, like no balls whatsoever that exploded on our ship. You know, and yeah. um, yes. we didn't satisfy the conditions, so we were a bit confused about that for a while. Um, but we kept at it, and eventually we got through. Um, so then, what we did once we um, uh, how we changed our strategy was that we had. Um, Adrian would push the balls into their into their respective spots, so push them onto the catapult. Uh, Greg, you would defend the ship, and I would play a dynamic role where I would, um, you know, I would um, either push balls or help Greg, and that way you know, we could that way because I was like a bit more flexible we could then adjust to the changing situation so that we can you know, respond to you know, things when they happen as well. Because yeah, if there's too many balls in play, then and two people, and if there's three people who are already actively busy and then, you know, you just add another ball, that's too much to juggle. So, <laughs> so we tried to keep one free hand. If you, if you liken it to the metaphor of juggling balls, which is apt. Yeah. Anyway, Adrian. All right. So the next category is uh, I consider protect, even though, right, there's only two missions for this category. It's the end of uplink. Otherwise, it plays out pretty much like a standard mission. And the main deal with that is there's a computer terminal that you want to defend, and the space parties will come out and try to blow it up. You have to do it for a certain amount of time. In high tower, it's the same deal. You're on a drill platform. You want to defend it for a certain amount of time from enemies coming to destroy it. So the basic idea is that you want to defend something and it has its own health, and the enemies yeah. can attack that and will attack that um, particular object. Yeah, and the main thing is that it's not a kill everyone mission. It's a you know defend it for whatever amount of time mission, which you know is an important distinction to make because in some of them they actually do go on forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, what we found right is that when we played with, I think at one point we let uh, Adrian, you let a random join our, you know, like a random online player join our match by accident um, as we were doing uplink, and so that was quite funny. Um, and so what we found is with a fourth player, we were able um, to progress through the waves quicker. And but once we'd finished where we'd once once we'd finished where we'd previously arrived at as three players, and we still had a bit more time on the clock, more enemies would come forward. Um, so as you said, Adrian, it's not like 
set quote. It just seems to go on and on. Yeah, which allows you if you have if you're able to clear the waves faster, you get more points. Yeah, yeah. so a bit of scalability it's... built in. Now, a major trend of variation I want to point out between uplink and high tower is in uplink, the computer is to a wall and enemies are coming from one side. But in high tower, they're coming in all directions and they're from an extremely far off distance, which pressures you to lead your shots more because they have to travel, the, your bullets have to travel such a long distance. And that's another example where this is unique to Federation Force because of the fact that bullets are actual objects that need to move through space. It's not hidden scan. Um, actually, I think we should clarify that a bit. So, with Uplink, you're so the computer's at the back of a room. You're in the room, and you're in an arena. But on Hightower, mm -hmm. you're on a raised platform. So, whereas in Uplink, you know you're face to face with the space pirates. In Hightower, you are like you don't have access. Well, you can jump off the platform, but the but the ground below is covered in gas, and one of the extra mission objectives is not to get hit by the gas. So, as you're saying, Adrian, because of that distance, because of that physical separation, it it requires more of the um, of that lovely um, timing, leading the shots, understanding enemy animation. So it's a much um, much more challenging task. You also have to, um, your map is helpful because because you can't guard the bottom of the drill. Naturally, you need to catch enemies farther away before uh, they get too close, which means mastering use of your map. Absolutely. Whereas in um, Uplink, uh, everyone will be above you, you'll see them clearly, and you can put your back to a wall, so there will be nobody coming from behind. Yeah, that's right. Like you kind of do shoulder to shoulder, right? You know, get your three or four crew members shoulder up to shoulder and you know, covering the front. But you know, I still found that in in uplink, it was useful to look at the map sometimes, if if you were to move away from your post. Yeah, I, this this is just another point for me to mention with the shootouts, is that the bottom screen, the map becomes that much more important, so that you can keep. Be aware of enemies that may be behind you, especially in those more open arenas where they come around from multiple angles. Anyways, those are all the categories really. Um, I did have you know chase and deliver for, but you know that was basically mission thirteen phantom. But I decided to put that into deliver and and defend with that one stipulation that you have to chase them, unlike the other ones where you just go there and pick it up. Uh, there's also another category for sandboxy level, but. I already mentioned them throughout. Mm. Yeah, I think the sandboxy levels, um, you know, whereas everything else, uh, all of the other categories that we've discussed so far, so far are usually shaped by the um, by the mission objectives and other things. Um, sandboxy levels are just, you know, uh, obviously a consequence of the of the um, level design and having larger areas. Yeah, each of these, uh, the three non-linear levels, each have are in a different objective category uh, that I put them in. So that's another interesting note. That the level structure varies even outside of the objective structure. So these categories, they, you know, they give us a way of, of understanding the um, Federation Forces campaign. And that is, I'm to say that there are what, how many categories? One, two, three, four, five, six, 
seven, eight, nine. There are 22 missions, but there are nine different types of gameplay. So, um, and you know, each of these categories are quite distinct as we've already discussed. So it's no wonder then that um, Federation Force, despite all of the um, unfair criticism that it, that it warranted, you know, um, you know, they, it, it was still noted for its uh, variation. So, um, and our discussion um, goes to that point. So what I wanted to, to just briefly just talk about is what allows for such variation in the campaign. Um, we were talking before and my conclusion was that um, basically, so you've got um, two things that affect the, um, the two sets of things that affect the, um, the type of gameplay that, um, in the missions. You've got the objective. So the objective sort of sets the, well, it's just the win condition and, it, and it's a real, it's a framing device for the gameplay. And that's the main um, sort of hard force that will affect the type of gameplay. But of course, you've also got the enemies, the environment and the game elements as well. And these three things also um, affect you know, what type of gameplay you will get. That's um, you know, reasonably obvious, I, I suppose. But um, as we as we were looking through the, the mission types, we sort of made this observation that um, in regards to game elements and that basically Federation Force will, will often use new or external game elements you know, beyond the simple you know, shooting of enemies. It'll use external elements to broaden the range of gameplay. Did you guys want to quickly run through what some of those things are? One thing is that you have an outside of the mech mode, which isn't triggered manually. Instead, there's scripted parts where you get kicked out of the mech and uh, you could easily remove that feature from the game and nobody would notice except that two missions were missing yeah so it's not part of the core you know of the core moving and shooting of the game it's actually a separate system um i actually um i i also wanted to note that um in metroid prime you have a scan visor whereas in federation force you have machines you can walk up to that serve you scans so you can't like walk around the world and scan things you have to wait to be prompted with something to scan and the same is true with the outside the mech parts where in metroid prime you could go into your ball at any time and try to apply it where it would be useful um instead the game when they want to have that size separation will tell you okay now you're in small mode and I think that's a key difference in how those two games work, where Federation Force will dictate what happens much more strongly and keeps a greater true. focus. That's that's very true, Greg. But you can also say that in the Prime games, uh, well, in the main Prime trilogy, there are individual side-scroller perspective sections for the Morph Ball. And so, in a sense, the, you know, the camera perspective and the sort of the way that those sections are separated is is also you know like a is a way of dictating or you know saying that it's a the separate type of gameplay. But I guess um, to your point, it's um, in Metroid Prime, like say Metroid Prime One, uh, in the Chozo Ruins, in the main area, you've got like the half pipe as well, and so that area has a bit of morph ball and it has a bit of um, and it has a bit of um, like regular through the visor perspective and shooting scanning gameplay so it's got those inner 
in the one area, whereas in Federation Force, it's ex like the 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 op uh, the extra mode of navigation is completely separate, except for in Blast Ball. Right. Except for in Blast Ball, right? Yes, because in Blast Ball you can be uh, ejected from the mech at any point. Um, anyway, um, uh, let's let's keep rolling. Um, so another one, Adrian, is the spheres, of course. Yeah, the spheres are another external element for you know changing things up, and then because mm -hmm. the box for them, also just for shooting them into the catapults. Uh, that's oh, yep. example. And you also then, have you know missile, missile keys, which you know brief I'll search through rooms, blow up crates, and find you know the thing more exploring. You also have containment, which has its own unique lock, and that. This lock only works if you put another enemy in it and keep them in there when it closes. But what's interesting there is that the enemy is one that you see in other missions. Yeah. Mm. It's, um... But you can't kill them. <laughs> yeah. Right. They repurpose an enemy if, and say instead of killing it, you have to trap it. Um, a bit of the variation also has to do with the mission structure or, you know, the locks and keys, what you're supposed to do in order to complete it. And that's when, where you get the um, bring X object to X location, lock and key, or the defend Y object for Y amount of time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, you've also got, um, obviously, the items that you need to deliver from one point to the other, whether that be... Metroid eggs, the uh, the cart on a rail, or the um, was it the what's that thing called, Adrian? The like the spherical ball you pick up. Um, the architect. Yeah, yeah, and you got the architect as well. So you got those things. For you that's know, not a good name for that, by the way. Oh, it's a horrible name, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> How can a ball be an architect? I don't get it. Um. And then for protect, you know, you've got, you know, health bars attached to particular objects in the environment. So, yeah, so you've got a handful of separate game elements which are added to the, um, you know, added to the strong existing core of moving and shooting. And they really, you know, they, they, they help to um, emphasize, you know, uh, well, they help to facilitate like a different range of, of interaction from mission onto mission and of course in the future we will talk more about the the different player roles player relationships and right. um and some and we'll talk a bit more about the levels in detail um we do have and we will provide this to our listeners a, a sort of an outline of the from mission one to 22 the sort of transition between the different um, types of gameplay, but I'm not sure that there's really much that we can take out of it um, at this stage. Do you guys have any, any thoughts on this? You're never focused on any one task. Like, it, it's, um, the game might develop a certain trend, uh, you know, like, there's the two sphere missions, and one is definitely harder than the other, but, um, or there's three sphere missions actually, mm. but they're never next to each other. Yeah. So, yeah. so there are never two of the same category of missions back to back. 
right? The game is often balancing uh, between them because in each of these lists, each of the ways that it's categorized them, like not one of them has two two missions that are back to back, not a single Ooh. one, except not even the boss ones. <laughs> Except, wait, wait. except for maybe the boss ones, which is the corn convergence, but right near the end of the game, that makes a little more sense. Yeah, that's true because you're building up to the finale. So, I just want to make one note. Well, I might bring this up in the next podcast too. But one note that I do know, aside from obviously enemies getting harder and what I said before about the different shootouts, to to where the ways the arenas are laid out to be more open to where more enemies can surround you and what Daniel said about enemy composition there's that there's also where the missions themselves want to divide your attention between multiple things such as in black hole and then the ancient skiff and you'll find that occurring all the way up to the, the really the last one is a mission slipstream is where you see the pinnacle of that dividing your attention between uh, multiple things hmm Cool. I think we've had a pretty good run. I don't know if there's much more to look. So we've talked a lot about the uh, variation and the types of gameplay within the campaign. Um, I just wanted to hear if there were any uh, any concluding thoughts. So, Greg? Uh, Metroid Prime Federation Force has a whole lot of variation in its design space. And going from mission to mission, you would never take anything for granted. And I think the best example of that is the outside of the mech portions where you know they get a lot of variation by giving you different things to interact with but then suddenly your main method of playing of just like moving around the environment changes so like i (laughs) i think the rule of thumb for this game is nothing is sacred except well nothing is sacred Uh, adrian right so one of the things I like about Federation Force is that there is a much more clear sense of progression in that things are getting harder, but it's also, well, it takes a little bit to identify how how things are progressing, but it is there if you, you know, look at the game design and the level design closely enough and how the missions are structured to where I don't, I'm not really getting a sense that they just, decided, oh, we're just going to throw in uh, an escort mission here where you move a card around for no good reason. Its placement in the mission order doesn't make sense where it is as we were going down through these, putting them into each category and looking at what was the progression between each one of them and how they got more challenging throughout the game. And that is something that uh, I got to give major props to the game designers. Yeah, I mean they've covered such a such a broad range of different you know, different types of gameplay, um, and building off of what uh, off of what Greg was saying before. So, you know, in one in one mission you'll be inside the mech, and in the next you'll be out of the mech. But even you know, in some you know, even say for mission one to two, in the first mission you're just shooting enemies. In the second mission you're shooting spherical balls, and so and and that requires you know it's more like you know playing pool or something like that and that requires you know a complete like a complete rethink of um you know of how you use the pre-existing um mechanics what your shooting does yeah exactly yeah like you know, your shooting takes on a brand new function and so you need to 
you know extend your way of thinking about you know, something that you're already that you well, that you're slowly getting to grips with um you know, in your learning and mastery of this game um and yeah you know i think the main takeaway is that the you know this game is fresh like the campaign you, you know there's there's no two missions back to back that are the same um even within the missions themselves there's a lot of variation um in that you know there sometimes there are more than one type of category uh, one of, more than one type of gameplay within the one mission um and in that sense it's really rich and refreshing the one thing that we didn't talk about is the fact that you don't play the mission in any order either do you adrian um you can actually sort of veer, like choose your own path kind of right the mission there is an option the missions are numbered but you often get um, pairs of three or and even at one point you actually have six available missions you can you can do in whatever order you like the boss missions um i believe yeah it's the boss missions where things almost where things funnel back into a single mission that you need to complete in order to unlock the next batch of missions linchpin nodes yes that's a that's a good name that's a good word for it thank you for that and so it's i think as well it's that sort of freedom in how you progress it's kind of also makes it difficult for us to really pin down and discuss the overall, you know, mission to mission flow because you know players won't um, may not play through the missions in numbered order. But it's also it's also complementary to the variety of the game where you know because all the sphere missions aren't in a row, it makes sense that you can pick what mission you might want to do next because it's not like you're going to play you're going to pick one mission and then like oh you should have you know gotten a tutorial from the other mission i'm not quite sure what you mean there sorry so if the three sphere missions were all in a row and you could choose which one to do first and you pick convergence you know you wouldn't have the <laughs> lessons from hardball yes. or you wouldn't have the familiarity from hardball so you so are able to get that wide mission selection because the missions that have to do with each other typically aren't next to each other. Uh, okay, I see what you mean. So it's like there is freedom, but um, you can choose from more than one mission, uh, from one mission or one gameplay type at a time. Yeah. However, however, the tiers, if you think of it as a as as being in tiers, each tier of missions teaches the player what they need to know for the next tier. And actually that would be a real uh, that would be really interesting because I know that the mission select screen is sort of organized in a sort of tier fashion. It'd be interesting to look at each tier and to see how many of each type of gameplay are on each tier. And maybe there's a pattern there. Yeah, so I think that wraps up our discussion on uh, the campaign mode in Metroid Prime Federation Force. Of course, we still have a lot more to say. I think we will probably be talking about some of our favorite levels, uh, some of the um, the levels of cooperation within, different, within the different types of missions. And uh, yeah, there's a lot more to talk about. So thank you for joining us um, and stick around for the ride. Should be fun. Three, two, one. Over go, go, go. here. <laughs> okay.